What would you do if you could do anything? Welcome back to The Purpose Effect. I'm Elena. What you've got is this, this huge sort of gap, right, between what's needed and what's offered. And women are a segment that have been sort of proven to be, first of all, say, lower credit risk. Secondly, actually, women-owned businesses have been shown to um, generate more revenue and be more profitable than average, given the same access to finance. Empowering small businesses and giving them access to the kind of financial tools and services they need has got this huge potential to expand the economy as a whole and benefit both men and women. For women, funded by women, Lucy is on a mission to put more money into the hands of women, and in particular, the groups of women who are the most underfunded. Today, I'm talking to co-founder and CEO of Lucy, Debbie Watkins, about the institutional reasons why women are chronically underbanked. We talk about financial inclusion, the misconceptions around women and finance, and what happens when women have better access to money. I'll give you a hint. Only good things. Good things for economies, good things for communities, and good things for women. I also loved Debbie's perspective on purpose, that if she could make an impact in one woman's life, this could have an intergenerational effect. And if she could do it at scale, think of what these women and their communities could achieve. But to begin with, we talk about how and why Lucy began. Yeah, so it, it's like most things. It's a it's a long ish story. So I'll try and keep yeah. it <laughs> try and keep it short. Um, but essentially, like we kind of collectively all had the sort of idea to really get Lucy going early 2019. That really came about through my experiences over quite a number of years, and actually my co-founders' experiences, which were different but similar over a number of years yeah. before we even knew each other. So um, as you know, I'd, I'd really been working in financial inclusion for like 21 years in about 35 countries. And one thing that I consistently saw was, number one, that pretty much all of the management of the financial institutions I was dealing with were male. Yeah. Um, number two was that disproportionate number of loans and customers were male as well. Um, but also in, in a number of cases that it was kind of apparent that there was this kind of complacency almost um, when it came to offering financial services. So, you know, this kind of, and you'll see this obviously a lot with mainstream banks as well, but this kind of one-size-fits-all kind of product um, that doesn't really solve problems for people. What I really saw was kind of a, a lack of wanting to put much effort into really being customer-centric. I think that um, I actually used to do workshops as well for financial institutions in customer-centric product design. And I did actually have a few financial institutions who just said, well, do we really have to be customer-centric? It's like so much work. Um, <laughs> literally. Um, and so this was something that was kind of pretty much everywhere I went in various shapes or forms, you know, that, that I was going out into the streets and seeing at least half of the small businesses were run by women. Um, and yeah. then going into the offices and finding out that like disproportionate 
unbelievably low number of customers were women. And it just seemed that there was this sort of fundamental disconnect. And, um, you know, around 2017, 2018 time, I got introduced to my co-founders just because we all moved in similar circles. And there was kind of very much a meeting of minds. Um, They'd been working in finance, banking and tech, but in sort of different directions. And had also seen the same thing, which was just this sort of super tanker kind of monolithic a lack of being agile or or really responding to what customers needed um, yeah and and how um my one of my co-founders in particular who was the CEO of a bank in Myanmar he'd recognized actually that the women customers that he did have um were were consistently better payers um yeah. than, than the men and actually you know this has been backed up pretty much globally now as well yeah. um and so you know he he'd actually been turning his focus at the bank a lot more towards women um yeah. but in general you know it was it was kind of all we we'd all seen the same thing from different directions and so when we actually got introduced it was like <laughs> we're all sitting there going yes and I so much agree with that you know um yeah um but it, eventually it was I think early 2019 that we ended up all sort of locked in a room um, in Bali for a few days and kind okay. of just batting around some sort of ideas. And, and we came up with something that actually was sort of looking really, really promising. And so we decided to just get on and do it, basically. So when you say get on and do it, what exactly was that process like? I mean, how were you fund? How did you fund the business in the early stages? Um, well, we self-funded at the beginning, um, mm-hmm. and so we then, in late, so we actually kind of kicked off the business uh, early 2020, and late, sort of second half of 2020, we um, brought in some pre-seed investors. Uh, which were kind of friends and family, but ended up being friends of friends and stuff as well, because what we decided that we wanted to do was to actually open this only to women. Okay. Uh, And um, so what we were finding was that so many people sort of were really sort of uplifted by the whole mission of what we were wanting to achieve, that they were then saying to their friends, well, I really think you should invest in this because it's a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to get in something sort of at the very early stages. On your website, there's a, a section of partners, and it's all women, and many of them are women in other sectors of business or women who run their own businesses. So those are your investors as well. Yes, exactly. Got it. Okay. So can you just tell me a little bit more about what the Lucy product offering is right now, what you started with, and what the long-term plans are? Yes. So essentially what we've done is focused on some core financial services that were really addressing some of the biggest pain points. So we've kind of centered everything around fee-free sort of mobile accounts, if you like. Um, so the, yeah. the equivalent of a sort of e-wallet or mobile bank account with an attached debit MasterCard. One of the so everything is digital. The whole onboarding, identity verification process is all through the phone. Um, once you're actually signed up and verified, you can create as many of these mobile accounts as you want, and give them each a name of what they're for, and mm-hmm. order a card for each one. Okay, so you could have 
personal account, for example, and a business account, yes. a savings account. Exactly. Right. And then you could have one account for your grocery or your household management and give that card to your helper, for example. You could, okay. you could also have a card for your children and give the card to your children. And so, yes, but segregating sort of the, the business and personal thing is what we're finding as well. A lot of people are using it for because a lot of people have small businesses that they're running at home and are unable to get corporate bank accounts from sort of mainstream banks. Yep. Um, and so that kind of works really well um, because it's very flexible. Um, the other thing that we've done is enabled what we call pocket savers. And these are okay. like small savings accounts. Again, you can give each one a name of what you're saving for. Um, and the difference is with these is you can put a goal against them. Okay. You can say, well, I'm saving for my annual medical insurance and I need $2,000 or I'm saving for a new iPhone and I need $800 or whatever it happens to be. Um, yeah. And have as many of these and you can create all of these on the fly directly through the app. Um, and so this kind of what it helps you do is segregate on one side, your different types of expense, and on the other side, your different types of saving, um, yeah. and then manage them all in one place. Um, now, in addition to that, um, what we did as well was added some additional services specifically focused on foreign domestic workers because they are very, very underserved in Singapore. Um, in addition to them also being able to get access to these fee-free accounts and the MasterCard, debit card. We've also put low-cost digital remittances in back to the Philippines and Indonesia. Again, designed... Because they're extortionate. Well, they're ex <laughs> extortionate. Yes, and also very, very time-consuming. Um, and, you know, we all know that helpers work extremely hard and don't get much time off. And the last thing you want to spend is like three hours of your one day off a week um, traveling to a remittance agent and standing in a queue for the, yeah. for the privilege of paying extortionate amounts, right? So, um, you know, what we've enabled is that, that the remittance can be sent directly from within the app, and of course, that's 24-7. Um, okay. So it's something that they can just do first thing in the morning or last thing in the evening and enjoy their day off. Um, yeah. And the other thing that we've enabled yeah. is something called earned wage access. What this enables is helpers, or indeed any employee actually, um, to access their salary uh, at any time during the month when they need it, based upon the number mm -hmm. of days that they've worked so far. Okay. And so the key thing here is this is not a loan. Yeah. Right? It's because, like an advance. Well, it's not, it's not even an advance because technically I've earned that money. Right? So today is what, the seventh, right? Um, mm -hmm. I've earned seven days of money. If I left today, I'm entitled to seven days of money. So why shouldn't I be able to access seven days of money today if I want to? And so that's basically what earned wage access enables. Um, and so what it does is kind of remove that awkwardness between, again, particularly yeah. helpers and their employees, but it, indeed it could be any employee and their employer, of kind of asking for, say, what we normally call an advance, right, when technically yeah. it actually isn't an advance. It's no. just asking... Yeah to get paid some of your salary that you've already earned today. And, you know, this came really as well from, from seeing that, um, first of all, that managing advances was something that both parties felt uncomfortable about. Certainly the helper yeah. felt uncomfortable about asking. The employer feels uncomfortable. And then they've got to remember 
that they've given this advance and remember to deduct it from the salary at the end of the month. Um, yeah. What we've done is automated all of that. Lucy's published that in Singapore alone, 26 billion Singapore dollars could be added to the GDP by 2025 just by increasing gender equality. So it would seem that there's a significant financial opportunity here. But until you and your co-founders got together and founded Lucy, none of the traditional financial institutions were addressing this. So why has this gap existed for so long? Why wasn't anyone doing enough about it? Well, the business case, I think, is, as I was saying before, first of all, that women tend to be a much lower credit risk. So there's, yeah. one, there's one great business case before you start, right? Yeah. Significant numbers of, of um, women. I mean, the, the, the number of sort of small businesses in, in Southeast Asia alone sort of is in, in the millions and millions. Um, and about 70% of small business owners are financially un underserved. 70%. So, yes. Um, and so, you know, you kind of combine all of this. What you've got is this, this huge sort of gap, right, between yeah. what's needed and what's offered. Um, and women are a segment that have been sort of proven to be First of all, say lower credit risk. Secondly, actually women-owned businesses have been shown to um, generate more revenue and be more profitable than average given the same yeah. access to finance. Um, and, you know, so actually empowering small businesses and giving them access to the kind of financial tools and services they need has got this huge potential to expand the economy as a whole and benefit both men and women. So the question is coming back to there. The, the big question is why is nobody doing this? Um, well, I think this partly comes back to how do I best describe this? It's very, very difficult for many people to see the world through other people's eyes. Um, that is kind of really what we've been doing is because, because I've got such a, broad and deep background in in customer-centric product design. I mean, part of the kind of fundamental aspect of that is really seeing the world through the eyes of others, really understanding their lives, their aspirations, their pain points, their challenges, um, and kind of throwing all of your sort of preconceived notions in the bin. Um, yeah. And that's really difficult for a lot of people to do, yeah. right? And that's why that's why white male VCs invest in companies founded by white men, right? Because it's people like them. It's much, yeah. much, much easier for you to design and offer products for people like you than it is yeah. for you to design and offer products for people that aren't like you at all. And so I think that's the thing. If we go back to the original thing about like 98% of bank management being male, mm -hmm. um, then it's kind of almost hardly surprising, right, that they're not designing products for lower-income female micro-entrepreneurs because they just don't understand them. They don't understand them, and there's a lot of preconceptions yes. about what those women are like. You know, there's a lot of myths that women are bad with money, yet if you look at the actual data, um, I mean, you, you said it just earlier, women were much better at repaying um, loans when they were offered to them. And, you know, I had a conversation once with some um, senior bank people um, once about, like, why they weren't offering 
as sort of many or equal value of loans to women who had similar businesses to men? You know, why were they giving higher amounts to the men or saying yes to the men and and requiring the women to have more collateral or more guarantors? Mm -hmm. Um, And they said to me, well, men are more risk takers. That's why we give them more loans. And that was considered a positive. <laughs> that, that was my point, right? <laughs> from, from a lender's perspective. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And after my jaw had sort of been picked up from the floor, um, you know, you know that, that, that's basically what they were saying, that they felt that because men took more risks, their businesses were more likely to be successful. Yeah, I mean, that's... Yeah, it's, yes. It's amazing. <laughs> and it just, it, it is, right? It's... It, not wanting to fund people or provide services to people who are different to you and then having a lot of misconceptions about those those people's ability to run a business and, and repay loans. But what what is it about you personally that's made you particularly interested in financial inclusion and working in areas and trying to get more access to either employment opportunities for women or... Um, or funding for women, why are you able to see the world through other people's eyes so well? Well, I think it really started in Cambodia when I first arrived there, and that was like early 2000. Um, And, you know, Cambodia then had really just emerged from civil war. I mean, the perception of Cambodia was that, like, you know, the Khmer Rouge was 75 to 79, but then the civil war continued until 98, yeah. Right. And so when I was there, it was kind of a mess, I think is the best way to put it. What um, brought you there? Uh, again, one of those things, it just sort of happened. Um, when I decided I got made redundant, um, some friends okay. of mine who I'd worked with in London had six months previously taken a year off to go traveling. And so I, I emailed them. We didn't have WhatsApp then, right? And so I emailed them and said, hey, I've just been made redundant. I'm thinking about traveling maybe for a bit. And they said, well, sure, come with us. And I was like, okay, where are you going to be this time? And they were like, "Um, Cambodia. And I was like, where? Um, And so I went to the travel agent and said, I'd like a ticket for Cambodia. And they were like, where? Um, And so, I mean, just to give you an idea how really unprepared I was, like when I went for the first time, first of all, I had to borrow a rucksack. And secondly, I had to go to the nail salon to get my nails removed. Oh, wow. Okay. So, you know, I was very much sort of kind of corporate girl. But anyway, the, the point was that when I arrived there, it was just such this massive, massive eye opener everything was busy. Everybody was busy. And that's the first thing I saw on like sat on this motorbike, back of a motorbike going from the airport was everybody was busy. It was just hustle and bustle and wheeling and dealing and people selling things by the roadside. And after a kind of initial bit of backpacking and then got involved in some voluntary work and ended up in more rural locations and having more conversations with people, what I realized was that the whole genocide followed by the civil war followed by you know so many people losing families that this whole generation had completely missed out on education what you had were people who were intelligent competent working as moto taxi drivers because there was nothing else available and I think that's kind of when it first really hit home that you know 
how much of some people's lives have been shaped by circumstance, right? Which has been completely outside of their control. Um, and having those conversations as I did with people, because a lot of those people we then hired with my first social enterprise, which was a travel company. And we trained them um, to be tour guides, um, but got very, very involved in people's lives and understanding about really what was going on with them. And that that's kind of, I think, when it really started. And I, I really realized sort of, you know, that there wasn't much difference between me and them except circumstance. Um, and that's kind of what shaped, I think, a lot of what I did after that going forwards, that, that all the different places I went, I became quite immersed in understanding about lives of people and saw the same thing time and time and time again, which was that, that there were lots of smart, driven, motivated people who, because of circumstance, weren't getting the opportunities that they needed. I think if you believe in a meritocracy, you believe that anybody can make it with, with the right amount of hard work. But that also assumes that everybody starts in the same place and has the same circumstances. If you have people starting much further beyond the starting line than others, it's, it's almost impossible to cross the finish line, let alone win the race. I read in your bio that you had an underprivileged start in life. And I was just wondering whether that had had any impact on the kind of work you wanted to do and your ability to understand some of these differences, these, these institutional differences that hit some people so much harder than others? Possibly. Um, I'm, I'd actually kind of never really thought about it. And I'm, I mean, I wouldn't say that my upbringing was underprivileged particularly, but more unprivileged, let's say. Okay. But, you know, we, we did have a kind of fairly typical lower middle class family, I suppose. Um, you know, my mother was a housewife. My father was a production manager. My sister got my cast off clothing. And, um, but certainly I think what it, what my upbringing definitely taught me was the value of money and that it's not going to be something that's given to me. I mean, I left school at 16 and started working full time. And since that point, I had no financial support from my family at all. So, you know, I, I did end up going to, um, I did my business studies course that I'd originally been planning to do after school. I did in evening classes. Um, but I, I think certainly what it did teach me, say, was the value of money and that if you do want to achieve something, um, you can't rely on other people to open the right doors for you. You're going to have to actually go out there and do it yourself. Yeah, you can't rely on anyone else, but you do need support, I think. And I think it's particularly important for all women to have access to both financial products, but also the support to enable them to utilize that. And, and to grow their businesses because then they're well on their way to financial independence. Yes. And I mean, of course, there is the, you know, what's called the poverty tax, I think now, which yeah. is, you know, that the lower income people pay more for things than we do. Yeah. Exactly the same things, um, which is, is sort of ridiculous. And, you know, what I've always been very focused on is the whole concept of social impact is really about closing the gap between what we pay for things and what lower income people pay for exactly the same things. 
And I think, you know, if you can actually close that gap, you're kind of well on the way to actually sort of helping to empower people to advance themselves, really. Yeah. And can you give any examples of how Lucy might be doing that? Because I I know that Lucy is trying to bridge the gaps between some of the traditional finance, financial institutions, traditional banks, and um, those women who have never been able to access those products. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that we're doing, as was mentioned, was enabling sort of low-cost digital remittances. And, you know, because the, the poverty tax is not just money, right? It's also time. Another another area is is by offering um, helpers a, a, a debit MasterCard. Yeah. They can buy things on Shopee, which is or, or online, you know, which is so much yeah. cheaper than than often buying things in shops. Yeah, and they can have buy those things and have them sent directly to family in the Philippines. Well, that of course is a massive thing, right? Yeah. So instead of sending their cash back into this black hole and they don't really have any control over how it's spent. Yeah. What they can do is actually buy things on Filipino websites yeah. um, and get it delivered locally, which is putting much more control back in their hands. Um, but, you know, moving forwards, what we will be aiming to do is to offer micro and home-based businesses, small business loans. Okay. Um, and again, you know, this is another segment um, that is not low, low income necessarily, but nonetheless can't get access to responsibly priced financial services. You know, the, the banks, again, don't really want to lend to micro and home-based businesses. Um, and so our aim would be to provide flexible and yet responsibly priced loans um, without requiring like collateral and things like that, um, which is again something that an awful lot of women don't have access to. Yeah. In addition to these kinds of loans, would you do you provide or do you plan to provide any other kind of support to micro entrepreneurs or small home based businesses? Yes. Any kind of your financial education type programs? Yes, actually quite a number of them that we've kind of got in the works literally at the moment. Um, okay. So, um, because one of the things as well that, that we recognized was that you know, being an entrepreneur is scary and it's lonely. And, you know, one of the things I always say to people is, you know, if you're a larger business and you need some help with your new product design strategy, you'll hire a market research company, right? Um, if you're a medium to large size company who wants to implement a new accounting system, you'll get the software provider in to come and do training and help you with the implementation. If you're a micro business owner, you actually really need that as well. Um, yeah. But what do you end up doing? Um, Googling it, right? Yeah. Um, or asking your friends um, yeah. or just making it up as you go along. And then also these products that, you know, some of the bigger market research companies might be able to help you with or agencies, for example, they're not tailored to small businesses. No, exactly. And so, you know, we kind of recognized this as well. And what we wanted to do was really provide a very holistic service. So it's kind of combining the financial and the non-financial services together. Mm -hmm. And so we're working on building out things like e-training, um, okay. some sort of integrated, much lower cost accounting 
and uh, things like forums and so forth. Um, actually, okay. um, we're kicking off one session, what we call the third Thursday sessions, because they're the third Thursday in every month, where we're actually okay. having a kind of in-person training session for Lucy Small Business customers. So, but there will be there will be more forthcoming on that side of things because we've really recognised just how important that is. And say things yeah. like accounting and so forth. You know, there aren't many options available um, that that for sort of micro and small businesses that are very easy to use for non-accountants and and low cost as well. So we're yeah. Yeah. working on integrating some of that too. We want to make this feel but very much a supportive environment. And, you know, the way yeah, that we've designed yeah. Lucy as well is that it feels very friendly, um, which I think yes. everyone would probably agree their mobile banking app really doesn't feel very friendly at the moment. Um, and so, you know, we wanted it again, that Lucy, Lucy kind of has a persona um, and that yeah. we wanted everything to feel warm and welcoming as well. Yeah, I like that. I like the branding as well. It doesn't feel like a financial product, but it does feel like a woman's product. Um, kind of feels like Lucy's your big sister and she's going to help you through all of these stages. She's going to teach you. I mean, I have a big sister, so um, my big sister taught me a lot about financial management um, and she's going to help you with finan your financial management. She's going to help you with your business and she's going to make you independent. Yeah, and that, that really is the intention, as I say. We want, we want kind of Lucy very much to feel like your big sister and the one that's kind of really got your back, you know? Women have had a greater penalty because of COVID. They've lost more jobs, and those women who have had the uh, ability to choose have left the workforce. I think one in the UK, I believe it's one in four women in the workforce have reduced their hours or considered wow. leaving because of COVID and being, you know, working at home whilst also parenting and teaching at some points at home became completely untenable. But I also think it's accelerated some po positive trends. I think flexible work is here to stay and that makes a huge difference for working women if they're able to have that flexibility in their day without feeling like they need to ask for it. Um, but I also think it's accelerated a desire for entrepreneurship and to be able to work and earn on your own terms. And I wonder if you've seen some of that in this early stage of starting up Lucy, that we're reaching some kind of a tipping point where more and more women are entering entrepreneurship. They have the confidence and now maybe more of the tools to be able to support them on that journey. Yes. And this was something that we'd seen pre-COVID as well, was, of course, there's been much more of this move towards the gig economy, yeah. you know, but much more a move away, away from the job for life. And so I think the whole pandemic situation has just sort of exacerbated this. You know, I think last year in Europe, new business registrations were up 40%. Wow. Um, yeah, and so... What you've got here is this huge number of people who are, as you quite rightly said, disproportionately female, yeah. leaving behind their steady but probably somewhat boring job um, mm -hmm. and seeing this as an opportunity to kind of balance work and life a bit more and perhaps follow something that is more of a passion for them.
And one of the things here as well I think that's important is what we had recognized is that this is not just a developing world thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, microfinance has traditionally been developing country, but this kind of need for this holistic support, combining financial and non-financial services, crosses all socioeconomic divides. That's why we really feel that the, the time for Lucy is, is now, um, because you've got a whole new group of women who haven't been sort of uh, scrapping as an entrepreneur since the beginning, right? They've come from this stayed but sort of bought maybe boring job and they're launching themselves into becoming an entrepreneur now and have the potential to make it. But they really need that support and feeling that somebody has got their back. I really, really like what Lucy's doing. I think it's such a, a needed service. And I think also from an education perspective, you know, making raising awareness that these are not just third world issues and these are not just women's issues either. I mean, there's um, probably lots of men who are trying to access small amounts of money that are also um, cut out of the current system. But particularly on this podcast, I like to talk a lot about the why of why people do the things they do. And I just wanted to ask you, what purpose means to you and how through this journey and working in the developing world and in particular with uh, financial inclusion, what your purpose is? I think, I mean, personally, my purpose, I, w- I would say, is to somehow make a difference to somebody's life that impacts them in a positive way. Um, and this was something that I really had felt ever since I think I first arrived in Cambodia and thinking just if I could do something that helped one person and that their children could have a better life than they would have done before I came along, um, then I kind of feel that I've achieved something. And Obviously, if it's possible to do that at scale in some kind of way, then that's that's perfect. I think it's it's just all about wanting to have that kind of positive impact on the world. And that might not be it might not be immediate, right? It might not be huge scale, um, but it could be that kind of butterfly effect that the small thing that you achieve during the time you're on this planet has a kind of knock-on effect that two or three generations down the line has some kind of significant impact. And I think that's, that's for me is kind of, is, is what I feel is sort of purpose for me is, is just being able to actually positively impact other people's lives in a way that will carry forward with them. It's a recurring message that the impact that you create doesn't need to be a big one and it doesn't need to be immediate. However you leave this life, you need to leave it having create, left it a little bit better than what yes. it was like when you entered, um, if possible, yeah. to give back rather than to take away. Exactly. So uh, what's next for Lucy? What are the next big, big projects that will be coming up in the next six months in addition to this educational platform that you guys are launching? Yeah, well, a number of different things. So um, firstly, that we are just kind of starting our Series A investment round, literally mm-hmm. right now. Good luck. Secondly... 
Yes, thank you. Secondly, <laughs> that we've also been, were recently nominated as a finalist for SXSW. I don't know if you're familiar with that. South by Southwest. South, South by Southwest. Yes. So we're a finalist oh, okay. um, there for the future of work category. Oh, um, wow. Great. Yeah, which is kind of quite massive as Will well. Will you be going but, to Austin? Um, I'm not sure if I'm going out or my co-founders or maybe both of us. Um, we're not sure right now, but it's the middle of March. Um, so yeah. that's kind of very, very exciting because it yeah, is such that is a, exciting. a big thing. Um, we're also kind of working towards International Women's Day, of course, which is the, mm-hmm. the 8th of March. Um, and on that day, we're planning to launch a rewards program for our Lucy debit card. Um, and what this, okay. what this will actually be is a pay it forward rewards program. And so this will enable you to accumulate points for your Lucy card and you can then use those points to buy something that's helping less fortunate women. So it's, okay. it's literally you kind of accumulate these points just by using your card. But rather than being this kind of me, me, me type cashback thing yeah. that's so prevalent now, it's more about, yeah. I accumulate the points, and when I've accumulated a certain number of points, I can use those points to help another woman by doing this. Yes, exactly. I look forward to that, and I also hope that Lucy will be available outside of Singapore and maybe to women in Malaysia soon. Well, very much. That's the other thing that's really on our radar right now. So um, we're expecting to be expanding to other countries during this year. So watch this space. Okay. So, yeah, so thank you so much for your time, Debbie, and um, congratulations on all of the recent successes you've had and really looking forward to be able to see Lucy um, in my part of Southeast Asia soon. Well, thanks so much for inviting me on. Thank you for tuning into my chat with Debbie Watkins. And once again, if you are a woman and a business owner in Singapore, register for their event on Thursday. It's the first of the third Thursday sessions. All of the details are in the show notes. And for everyone else, please follow, drop me a note on Instagram, tell me what you thought. I love, love, love hearing from you. And you'll hear from me again next week. Bye. Bye.